Hey everybody, welcome to another broadcast. Now, I'm bringing a second one to you. Again, it's a Saturday, and as we can kind of tell, um, you can get this idea that I'm kind of enjoying these broadcasts quite a bit. Uh, we started off just doing them once a week, and for the sake of um, for the sake of archiving, we started off doing a, a second Saturday show, and then this one here just kind of decided to throw in the bill um, as a means to, you know, we had a lot going on this week, so I wanted to uh, share that. Uh, today we're going over the little bit of the Catholic faith. Uh, you know, the biggest thing that I really need to stress is that this is a cult. This is not the. This is not a Christian denomination by any standard, uh, which we're going to get into in a little bit. But we had some stuff going on this week. Um, that kind of motivated this. Uh, one, the uh, church, the, the Catholic Church, or the Catholic uh, Cathedral of Notre Dame was burned. I don't know how much was burned. Um, uh, you know, honestly, if it was up to me, it would be burned down. Um, and um, you know, it, it, the reason being is, it is this is a cult. Uh, I've already said that this is this is not a Christian organization. Um, they are completely separate, and we're going to get into that here in a minute. Um, but I, I thought it was kind of interesting because we have a, I saw a number of people who who profess to be Christians, um, which I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue that. But these people who pre, who uh, profess to be Christians are also the same people who are saying, "Oh, it's so sad that this is happening." Whoa, you know, I'm sorry. It's so so sad. I hope nobody was hurt. Now I gotta say, I do hope nobody was hurt. Um, that's kind of one of the last things in which we want. Um, in any any manner, including you know uh, cults, you know it, it, we you know being hurt, being burned. I mean that that's very something tragic. But at the same time, and I'm not going to go to this extreme to say that this is truly what happened. I would be convinced of the possibility that this was a judgment against the Catholic Church by God Himself. Um, do I have any proof of that? Absolutely not. I only have what the Word of God tells me. Uh, and according to much of the Old Testament, not much of the Old Testament, but um, certain aspects of the Old Testament, there was, um, what's the word, violation. Um, I don't know if violation is the word I want. There was destruction of pagan uh, temples, specifically Dagon, or I think it was, it was, yeah, it was Dagon who was knocked down, uh, ultimately destroyed when um, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was brought into their sacred temple. Um, I, I want to go over some of this. They, they even had some relics uh, that were saved. They said, "Oh, you know, thank you. You know, it's good. It's a, such a blessing to see this happen." And these are rel these are not relics. You know, relics are historical items. Um, these are real objects. Uh, there was something I saw about. Uh, I want to say uh, relic, relic, relic. I don't even know if that's actual. If that's the name of it, I'm gonna look that up real quick um, because I saw. Uh, I don't even know the parody of relic. I don't even know what this is all about, but um, the uh, I, I heard an article, and you can check out my personal page uh, for that video. I saw this uh, just last night. What was happening was um, there was a uh, I was listening to this video, and this this guy is basically promoting this idea the all these relics. You know, get yours now, act now, and if you do this, there will be a blessing to come upon you. I don't know if it was real. I don't know 100%. I don't know anything about it. It was new information to me. But it's interesting to think about it. Yeah, you know, act now, get your skull of John the Baptist, and, you know, we'll even throw in a blessing to boot. 
that's kind of what happened there. Um, I, uh, as we mute this here, I hope you guys didn't catch any of that. Um, so there was that, and then there was something to deal with, you know, walking up this, these, the holy, these sacred stairs on your knees and receive a blessing through that. These are the stairs of Christ. I mean, the Catholic Church, they have so much garbage, and I have to say that boldly. They have so much garbage within their faith. It's very scary. Um, it's not scary as in um, it's affecting me, but it's scary that, there's, that, that, that it exists and that people even believe this. Uh, they believe that it is a Christian uh, denomination, um, which this is what we're going over with today. Um, and this information that I'm going to be providing you, that it is not a Christian church, um, I, I quite honestly, I think even those relics should probably have been burned. I don't have any respect for the Catholic faith. I don't have any respect for the Pope. Uh, I don't have any respect for their doctrine, anything related. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm not hoping you guys getting that. I, I would like to see you guys kind of get a, a better understanding. And we're going to kind of go over some of their doctrinal beliefs. This is actually from the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, for those of you who are watching this video, this book is, if you, I would, I would want to, I would encourage you guys, if you're checking this book out or if you're checking this broadcast out, get this book. But do not treat it as divine writings. Do not treat it as sacred. Uh, according to the Catholic faith, do not treat it as holy doctrine. This is complete heresy. Um, this is nothing in this is to be recognized as godly. I, I make that, I stress that. And the reason I think you guys should get this is not, you know, to read it as an oh, holier than thou uh, sacred text, but so that you can have a better understanding of the Catholic faith. Um, so again, you know, the, it's a second edition, and I believe if there's a print copyright, I don't even know, let me open this up real quick. This is copyrighted for 19, uh, 1997 is the copyright. So this is still fairly recent, still, still, still good uh, information, valid. This is what the Catholic Church believes, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, you can actually get it on ChristianBook.com. I think I got it for um, less than about 10 bucks. Um, it was less than 15, I know that much. So I want to encourage you guys to check that out, maybe put that on your list. But here's why. Here's why we're, we're kind of, you know, essentially tearing this apart. Acts 17, 11 says this, that all teachings should be tested and compared with the scriptures. This is how we are to know if it is not necessarily a false preacher, not necessarily a false church, but a false teaching. This is what we need to do. We need to listen to the teaching, what's really being said here, and then compare it to what the Word of God has to say. Now, I don't really know. We're going to be going over a lot. One, two, three, four, a number of uh, things here. And we're going to try to make this up quick because I'm not necessarily giving you a preaching a lesson uh, of any sorts today. But I wanted to uh, put this out there so that those who are listening or who would listen will have a better understanding as far as the differences between Catholicism and the differences of Christianity. Um, and I even have a video at the end of this broadcast in which we'll share as well. Uh, now, first off, I want to, you know, these, these numbers in which I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, referencing, I do not know the, the proper term uh, is what these are called, so we're just going to call them reference numbers. Uh, I just want to let you all know that. And before we get started, pause this video, grab your notebook, and let's get rolling. Um, what's going on here, and this is, we're going to go compare what the Catholic Church has, says, what they believe, 
um, according to their doctrine, as well as the um, the flip side, what does the Bible truly say? And then again, there's a video at the end. Now, going over this tradition of the Word, what is the Word of God? What are they? What do they believe about this? This is the tradition over the Word. This is important to recognize. And and I was putting this together, and I I, I was getting so much despise. I, I despise this so much. I really wasn't sure if I wanted to. I, I had a hard time putting this together because as I you know read this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is total garbage. Um, and this is not an exhaustive uh, list of information. This is basics. There's a lot more to the Catholic faith, but we're only kind of going over some key points in a bunch of different areas. First off, they honor traditions over their over the Word of God. Uh, the key point here is uh, church traditions. Keep in mind, church traditions. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way we've always believed. Uh, have equal authority to God's word. Reference point is 80, 82, and 97. They also believe that the church dogmas, the church's beliefs, have a higher authority than scripture now that doesn't now we, we would think that that does that really contradict i thought you said that they're equal yeah they are because if you have the word of god let's say we'll put you know putting numbers together for those of you who are listening to the audio if that was at like uh if you've got a scale from one to five for the sake of understanding here um the church traditions and and the having equal authority to god's word that we're putting that at a number three a three out of five and then we also have the second point that I've mentioned, the church dogmas, the church's beliefs, have a higher authority over the scripture. So they're at a five, they're at a four or a five. Meanwhile, they're still at a three. They're at a three with the equal understanding of the word of God, but you know, the church itself is believed to be more, more reliable than the word of God. Uh, another point here is that we cannot be certain what the scriptures teach without our traditions. This is uh, point 82. Now keep in mind that uh, having the authority higher than the scriptures, that is point number 80 or 88, reference point 88. Um, and then another thing they believe is over their traditions is that only the Catholic Church can properly interpret the scriptures. Think about that real quick. Only the Catholic Church can properly interpret the scriptures. That means you cannot, you cannot properly understand it on your own. It means according to their standard, according to their belief, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I, I don't even know what the Bible says because I've never been taught by a Catholic priest. Um, I've never, uh, since I've become a Christian, I mean, and this, I was, a, I was a part of the Catholic faith years ago, so long ago that I don't really remember what I was, what I was taught, what I was being taught by them. Um, but, you know, that's where uh, my family comes from. But uh, they can only interpret the scriptures, only the Catholic Church. You know, not the Protestants, not the Methodist pastor, not the Lutheran pastor, not the non-denominational, not even myself. We've got no idea what we're talking about. This is reference point 85, 100, and 113. Uh, here's what the Bible teaches over traditions. The Bible says that no authority is higher than Christ. The Catholic Church believes that they have a higher authority over God's Word, but the Bible says contrary to that. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word of God, and then you have Revelations 19.13 as well. Uh, it also says here the Scripture gives us all we need. It is sufficient. Scripture gives us all we need 
um, and traditions themselves are not required. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 16, all scripture is God-breathed. Uh, trusting man alone, in other words, the Catholic Church is a curse and leads to captivity. It leads to bondage, um, out into sin, as we were talking about yesterday. You will be a slave to this. Jeremiah 17, verse 5, as well as Colossians 2, verse 8. Uh, I can't even talk today. Um, the Roman Catholic Church on grace. This is an interesting one. and I, I limited a lot of these points in which we're going over. Keeping in mind, this is not an exhaustive. I want to make that perfectly clear. This is not everything. But I want you guys to check this out. I want you to write these down and really get a better understanding of, of what we have here. Uh, according to the Roman Catholic Church, grace is received through baptism. You don't receive grace, the grace of God, until you are baptized. This is reference point 1999, a great year as well, more or less. Um, grace is earned and cannot, or and it can, I'm sorry, it can be lost, only regained through the sacraments, the, the ceremonies in which the Catholic faith does. That is the only way that you can gain or I'm sorry, regain the grace of God. You first receive it through baptism, and then you can lose, it's possible to be lost, but you can regain it through the sacraments. This is uh, reference point 1129. Uh, now, it's interesting enough is, um, uh, we will actually get through that here in a minute here. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Uh, number, the last point here on grace is one cannot be sure uh, one cannot be too sure about the state of grace. You can only hope for it. In other words, you can't really tell me that you have the grace of God because you don't know. You can only hope that you do. This is reference point uh, 2005 as well as 2016. Um, now, the Bible teaches on grace. Now, first off, grace, the Greek word for grace is charis, if I'm pronouncing that right, which means it is a gift. Or it is unmerited favor. It is undeserved favor. Now, what the Catholic Church is teaching is baptism. Okay, because you've been baptized, you deserve or you're being merited grace. But this is not the case. This is unmerited grace. You did not deserve this. You did not earn this. So, therefore, your baptism itself is null and void in relation to this. If grace is received by works, according to the Bible, then it is no longer a gift, but it is a wages, which is what we went over with um, last week, I believe is what it was. Romans 4, uh, verse 4, as well as Romans 11, verse 6. Um, grace is through Christ alone, and it is through faith alone. This is the only possible way in which we receive grace. We, were, we are saved by grace through faith alone. Grace comes first. We are saved by the grace of God. And then from there, you know, the moment we re the moment we have obtained salvation, this is the moment we've received the grace of God. Now keep in mind, we have not we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, but we have not been baptized by water yet. This is this is the point here and this they're record they're recognizing that baptism is, is is required to receive grace, but the Bible itself teaches different. Um Grace itself is also, or, or Christians are saved, as I said, great, uh, we're saved by grace and not by our own works. 2 Timothy 1, 9. Now what the Roman Catholic Church also teaches on salvation. 
They teach that there is no salvation outside of the Roman Catholic Church. You have reference point uh, 846 um, here for this one here. Now, what's interesting about this is if... If there's no salvation outside of the Roman Catholic Church, then that means that myself, being a Protestant believer, um, I'm, I'm lost. I am condemned to hell because I'm not a part of the Catholic Church. In fact, I reject the Catholic Church. I reject its teachings. I reject the Pope. I reject the entire Vatican and the entire organization itself, which is, in fact, a kingdom, which we'll get into that here um, later. Uh, salvation itself is bought is brought by Mary's intercession. Mary is the one who intercedes on our behalf. She's the one that says, "Oh, you know, it's okay. You know, they, they love you enough. Forgive them. Whatever she's saying, this is what they believe, which is a load of garbage." Um, Mary is a uh, human being, which we're going to get into that a little bit more uh, again in this. Uh, she did does not intercede for us, and the saints are believed to do the same as well. Uh, and this is actually reference point 969. Uh, Pope Boniface VIII in 1294 to 1303 AD, he has stated that it is necessary for salvation. It is necessary. Listen to this. It is necessary. It is required for the sake of salvation that every creature, every being, every human being be subject to the Roman Pontiff. Keep in mind, they're not talking about the Emperor. They're talking about the Pope himself. The Pope is saying, if you want, if it is necessary to receive salvation, that you be subject under me. Pope Leo, the 10, 11, 12, the 12th, um, from 1821 to 1829 AD, uh, he says that here, anyone who is separated from the Roman Catholic Church, however innocent or blameless, you know, not being their fault, however innocent, has no part in eternal life. There is no hope in us, us Protestants, us Baptists, us Lutherans, us Christians that are not Catholic. We have no eternal life. This is what they believe. There is no eternal life in us. We are condemned. We are, there is no hope. Uh, unless we were to come under the Roman Catholic Church's authority. The Bible, on the other hand, teaches contrary to this. Again, those who, who do believe, it's not those who are baptized, uh, or it's not those, uh, or those who do believe, those who trust in the Lord, Christ himself, have eternal life. John 3.16, as well as John 6.47 Faith is not works. Uh, faith brings salvation. It is not works that bring salvation. You find this again in Romans 3.28, uh, 11.6, as we've already said here, and again in 1 Peter 1.9. Um, now, I, I'm going a little fast here. I do apologize. Um, wow, we're actually on uh, 20, almost 20 minutes, so we're going to kind of stress this out a little bit more. I'm talking too much. I'm actually getting to be... Thirsty, wetting my whistle, or uh, somebody actually told me this. I can't even remember the proper term, but my throat sarcophagus—not my sarcophagus, <laughs> my sarcophagus—is getting dry. Um, I don't even remember what it was. Uh, something to do with your throat. What some some biological term? Uh, that's not my expertise, as you all know. Uh, the Bible teaches that it's by faith alone that brings salvation, not our own works. Salvation is through Christ alone. Acts 6, I'm sorry, not Acts 6, Acts 4, 
29. Peter being the rock. Now this is kind of interesting. Um, Peter is, the church itself believes that their foundation is set on, um, on Peter. That um, in, um, in Matthew 16, verse 18, it says, uh, you, know, you know, Peter, you are the rock, and on this rock I shall build my church. This is what they believe. This is what they claim is true. Um, contrary to what the Bible says, that is not true. I mean, yes, Jesus did call Peter the rock, but there's two different kinds of rocks in which we're getting into. There's there's a masculine and there's a feminine uh, form of this that, that we're getting into. Um, there's the foundational and there's the idea that he's you know hard-headed. It's not, uh, that's not who Peter is. He's not the foundation of the church. This principle in which we, in the context, you know, they say that uh, Peter is the rock that the church is built on. And the reference point we have for this is 522 and as well as 881. Um, on contrary to this in the context, in Matthew 16, 18, what is being discussed is the reality of who Jesus Christ really is. He is the son of the living God which is what Peter himself describes, he professes. Um, and on this principle, on this principle that he is the son of the living God, Christ will build his church. That is what the, the context of that passage in question is. Now what they believe about Mary, Mary was born to be without sin. Uh, she also lived a sinless life. You find these reference points in, uh, in their, uh, again, this is their catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, five, I'm sorry, 491 through 493, and as well as leaving the sinless life, uh, is, is reference point 966. Mary is uh, our advocate who intercedes on our behalf, you know, as a part of salvation and through daily prayers. You find this in 969. She was also an eternal virgin. She remained a virgin from the day she was born to the day she died. Now, he, there's an interesting point. I did not share this, but it is believed that Mary did not die um which uh there's no point uh to that as well but it said they believe that she's an eternal virgin reference point 499 the bible itself actually teaches contrary to all of this mary everyone they believed that she was without sin and lived a sinless life but the bible teaches that everybody is a sinner including mary romans 3 10 3 23 and even first john 1 18 i'm sorry 1 8 1 8 first John 1 8 Jesus is our only advocate he is the only one that can intercede on our behalf he is the only one who is our mediator not Mary um, and this is in first John 2 verse 1 and he continuously intercedes Jesus not Mary continuously intercedes for his children those who have been saved by the grace of God who have been chosen by God Romans 8 34 and Hebrews 7 25 through 27. And while she would remain pure until Christ's birth, and this is in regards to her being a virgin, um, she remained pure, she remained a virgin up until Christ's birth. Mary did, in fact, actually have six other children. She had four boys and two girls. Uh, and you find this in Matthew 13, 55. Mark 3, 31. Galatians 1.19, Jude 1.1, and 1 Corinthians 9.5. Um, they believe that the saints themselves can intercede to the Father, just as Mary does for us, um, offering their own works, offering their own deeds, the saints' own deeds, 
that they have committed while on earth as a offering to the Father on our behalf. Reference point 956. Uh, for that, Mary, and like Mary, we can pray to these saints uh, to intercede on our behalf. Uh, 958, and they promote, even the promote the statues uh, to be prayed to. These are idols. Eight, this is 860, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, 1161 is the reference point for that. This is idolatry. This is idolatry to the extreme. One, recognizing Peter as the foundation of the church. Recognizing Mary, through Mary, we can obtain salvation. Recognizing that the saints can intercede on our behalf and, and relay the message to God. Um, that we can be saved, or, or that, that you know, the, whatever whatever it is that we're dealing with, the saints are praying to God. Now, now here's the problem with that. Um, Hebrews tells us that just as man is uh, dies, or uh, man is destined to die once and face judgment. This includes the saints. The saints were men. The saints were well women. The saints are people, which we'll get into that here in a minute, but they believe that the saints can do that, but how can they? When the saints are human beings, they cannot exist at every given time, or at any given point, at any given time. They can only exist in one one space, one one place, at one point in time. They, they are not on earth. Uh, Satan himself is that same, he has that same amount of power. He's not in every single place at the same time, as God can be. They are limited. Um, if that's the case, how you know if if we're limited to a, a finite space, how can one person in Chicago pray to Saint Peter or, or Saint Augustine or, or, or Saint Matthew or Saint Mark or Saint Mary? How can they pray to this saint when you have somebody over in California or Florida or Ohio who is praying at that same time? The problem here is one of those prayers, if it is possible to pray, which it's not, if it is possible to pray to these saints or to Mary, then only one person's prayer is being heard. There's a problem there because the other one's being rejected. So rather than praying to these saints, why not pray to Christ himself or the Holy Spirit or even God the Father, whichever one of these trinities in which you would like to do. There's only one mediator and it is the Holy Spirit. It is, God, it is, God, it is Jesus Christ. This is the only one that can, you know, intercede on our behalf. And what this is, and I'm not going to get into that right now, actually. Uh, that's a whole other study. But there's no, there's no, why would we want to pray to the saints? Why would we want to pray to Mary when we have the ability to pray straight to God himself? Uh, hey, Garrett, uh, how you doing? Welcome to the party. We're actually almost done here. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, so this is what they believe about the saints. These are idols. These are garbage. This is garbage that needs to be thrown in the trash. Um, and you know, I wish if it, if it didn't happen, I, I, I truly do wish that it would have been burned along with the rest of the Notre Dame Cathedral um, this past uh, this past week. Um, the Bible, on the other hand, teaches contrary to this. It teaches that we are not to worship strange gods. Psalms 81 verse 9 again you know one of that everybody knows is we're not to create graven images we're not to create idols we are not to create physical manifestations of a celestial being um, specifically God but not limited to uh, Exodus 20 verse 4 and again this is the one I love so much the the Catholic Church believes that they are the ones who can make who can deem somebody a saint 
and it is through the good deeds and the good merits in which somebody has done within their lives. Uh, they then you know, would evaluate that and they would say, okay, this person was in fact a saint. But the Bible teaches contrary to that. In fact, all Christians, all believers of the body of Christ are saints. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, as well as Romans 1, 7, and Ephesians 1, 1. This is what we have going on here. Um, the priest. We have the priest, the pope, and then we're going to kind of answer some questions here and also give you a video here to wrap this up. I think we're actually making some good timing on this. But the priest, the Catholic Church believes that the, uh, that, that the priests themselves, that if you reject, listen to this, this is actually something that's done in the charismatic movement. I think I've heard, uh, I, don't, I don't follow him, but I think I've heard Benny, Benny Hinn uh, in a clip. Uh, I think he's maybe uh, claimed this as well. Uh, as long as, you know, it, it, this is universal. This is a phrase in which a lot of false believers uh, try to claim as a means to justify that, um, you know, that I work for God. And, and what this is, is, is that they believe that if you reject the priest uh, or their teachings, then you are rejecting God. And this is reference point 862. Um, Garrett, you know, since you're a part, since you joined this party a little bit late, I want to make this known. These reference points in which I'm getting um, come from the Roman Catholic doctrine, the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church, not to be deemed as holy scriptures. Um, but these are these are where I'm getting these reference points from. The priests themselves are uh, the priests represent the, represent themselves as Jesus on earth, and they share in His authority in the authority of Christ, and they represent Christ as priest, prophet, and king. These reference points are 1560. I'm sorry, 1563 of the Roman Catechism and 1581. Priests are also, listen to this, priests, the priests, the Catholic priests, are the living image of God the Father. Now, God the Father, he's sinless, he's blameless, he's faultless, he's without darkness, he's completely holy, he's completely pure, he's righteousness, he's, he's glorious, he's all-powerful, the final authority. And this is what these priests are supposed to be, the living image of. The final authority, the glory, and everything that is the manifestation of God. There's reference point 1549. And contrary to this, the Bible itself teaches that all Christians, all Christians, everyone who has been born by the Spirit of God, are called priests of the Lord. Revelations 1, 6, 5, 10. Uh, and Revelations 5.10. And I think if this is, I haven't looked these up specifically right offhand, but I believe when, it, when it's called that we are a royal priesthood, which would label us as priests as well. Uh, I believe that's actually Peter's writings who gives that. But um, being a royal priesthood, being saints, we too, and people who are in the body of Christ, by definition, are considered priests of the Lord. Uh, Christians represent Christ on earth. It's not just the priest who does, but the Christian, generally speaking, does as well. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Uh, Jesus alone is the high priest. It's not the priest themselves, not the Catholic priests. Jesus alone is the high priest, and he alone is the image of the Father. Hebrews 2.17, uh, Hebrews 3.1, 4.14, and even John 14, verse 9. Um, and what's interesting about this is they're, you know, they're called Father, and the Pope is called the Holy Father. 
contrary to this, uh, the Bible actually teaches Jesus Christ's specific words to call no religious leader father. Do not call the priest a father. Do not even call the Pope a holy father. Matthew 23, verses 9 through 10. Now, here's the interesting part. This is, this is kind of where we're wrapping this up as far as these key points according to their doctrine, according to the Catholic Excuse me. According to the Catechism of the, uh, the according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and then again, we're going to get into a video and answer two questions here. Um, the Bible, te or I'm sorry, the the Catholic Church, uh, their Catechism, they believe the Pope, the Pope himself, is infallible in matters of doctrine. This is reference point eight ninety one. Um, the Pope, and, you know, he's infallible. He's without fault. So when he speaks the word of God, he speaks the word of God. Um, when he speaks doctrine, it is true. It is absolute. This is the final authority, even if it contradicts what is mentioned in the scriptures. As we've already went over with their, their traditions, uh, the reference point uh, for this would be uh, 88. The Catholic Church uh, doctrines have a higher authority over the scripture. That's what we just went over with. And, you know, if the Pope himself speaks something that is contrary to scripture, the Pope himself is right and the scripture is wrong. Uh, the Pope himself is the only one who can properly interpret the scriptures. Um, I do not have that reference point, but that is essentially what's uh, believed as well. Uh, the Pope is the pastor. He is the final authority over the church, over the universal church, the church as a whole, the global church body. He is the pastor, the lead pastor of this meaning that he has this final authority. Um, and this is reference point 936. Interestingly, I thought this was kind of interesting, uh, and, and I, I, I just read this today. Pope Leo the Thirteenth. this is X and III, Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Uh, he said in 1885 that the Pope holds upon this earth the place of God Almighty. Listen to that, what he's saying here. This is Pope Leo the Thirteenth in 1885. This has never been retracted to my to my understanding. The Pope upholds the earth uh, upon this earth, the place of God Almighty. What they're saying there is the Pope himself is God incarnate. He is God. That's what they're saying here. And if you look at, at how they're set up, you've got this Pope. I mean, I, and I, I've never been to the Vatican. I don't plan on being to the Vatican. If I do go to the Vatican, I'm going to raise a fuss. I'm going to have some fun. Uh, I've never been there, but, you know, if I was to, based on what I've seen online, pictures, videos, uh, all sorts of stuff, the Pope is king. He is a king of the Catholic Church. He is a political, religious leader. Uh, he is the one you should listen to. That is who the Pope is, but Christ himself speaks contrary to that. Um, in fact, if anything, you know, the Pope himself is, well, which we'll actually get into. I want to look this up. Give me a minute. I want you to write this down. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Je uh, Je look up, write this down if you guys are taking notes. Uh, Jesuit Oath. I think that's uh, the proper uh, uh, the proper wording is what I want here. Um, this is the awesome. Okay, um, let's see here. Um, I'm, I'm going to actually share this. I'm going to share this link. Um, I'm not going to search through this, but 
Uh, this is their oath, uh, the Jesuit oath for the Catholic Church. And if I'm understanding this right, I need to do a little bit more study myself upon the, um, and I'm going to put this in the description of this video, um, which I cannot do right now. Um, but uh, I'll put this in the, uh, the comments and I'll edit, I'll put it in the description once we get done here. Uh, this link is actually a, a link to the Jesuit oath. This is what they believe. And if you look at this, um, if you look at what they believe a little bit in there, you will see, uh, and I can't find it. I'd have to read over it and give you like a specific article. It's in a paragraph here somewhere. Um, what they believe, this is essentially the CIA of the Roman Catholic Church. And there's one, one piece in here which is believed that they, you know, when you take this oath that you will uh, infiltrate other churches, other, other faiths, as a means to tear it apart. Um, I can't find this. Yeah, we'll have to, I want you to check out that article in which I shared, uh, and I'll put that in the description of this video here as well. Um, but that's uh, one of the pieces that they believe to basically rip apart the faith. If it's not the Catholic Church, destroy it. Infiltrate it. Um, be the uh, be the spy, be the one that uh, spreads rumors. That's essentially what's in there, uh, and that's what's believed. The Bible itself, uh, you know, when it comes in the contrary to what, who the Pope is, um, the Bible teaches that Jesus Himself is the head of the Church. Uh, Ephesians five verse twenty three, and leaders are not. This includes the Pope specifically, uh, not specifically, but especially the Pope. Leaders are not lord over the flock, nor should they be exalted by others or even themselves in the way that they dress or address them. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Now, with that being said, I'm going to get to, I'm going to share this video here in a minute. Um, but with all that, you know, and I probably should have thrown this out here in the beginning of this, it is also believed, you know, you know, and I, and you, I, I got to give some slack. Um, people who do not know the history of the church, uh, the seculars uh, specifically, they would naturally assume that, and when I was in my younger years, I thought this as well, um, they would naturally assume that these denominations, the Lutheran, the Baptist, the Presbyterian, the Pro, you know, Protestants in general, are in fact of the same faith as the Catholics because they're similar faith structures. They've got similar beliefs uh, about God. Um, but as we found out here, this is completely separate. And what happened here, the question here is Protestant, the Protestant Christianity, which by comparison would be the true Christianity over, you know, compared to Catholicism. Um, Protestant Christianity does in fact have roots within the Catholic faith. Um, this does not show, however, that they are the same religion. Um, the Protestants' roots may be traced back to the Catholic Church, but with the Protestant Reformation, you know that uh, you know which was sparked essentially after Wycliffe translated the I think it's John Wycliffe is his first name. He translated the Bible into English, and this was a means to he believed that everybody should be able to read uh, the Bible. Um, and, uh, you know, this was something the Catholic Church didn't approve of. They, they, they believed, they, they spoke the Latin translation, and they believed that only the, as we've already went over, only the church, only the pope, only the priests can properly interpret and give you the word of God. You can't do this. So, that, so uh, it was a, excuse me, it was a power-hungry control. That's what the power, that's what the Roman Catholic Church is. It is controlling. It is satanic. There is nothing godly about this. Um, 
But uh, we have, you know, with Wycliffe translating the Bible into English, people began to learn for themselves, they began to read for themselves, and they began to see these Roman Catholic errors. Which, as an example, Martin Luther nails his 95 Thesis to the door of the church, the Catholic Church, which it triggers this uh, Protestant Reformation. And keep it more, uh, Martin Luther and a lot of these other uh, Protestant uh, um, fathers of the of the Protestant faith, um, they they did this, and not as a means to destroy the Catholic Church, but Martin Luther, if I remember right, he was a he was a he was a Catholic monk. He did this because he he had such heavy convictions. Of his beliefs, that he he nailed it to the cross, he nailed it to the doors, and essentially exposing the errors of the Catholic Church. This was not a means to destroy, but this was a means to uh, reform. This was a means to bring the Catholic Church back into a right standing and solid doctrine of the faith according to the Word of God. Uh, and it's important to know that because this was this was what was going on. This was their purpose. They were essentially preaching the word of God and hoping that the Catholic Church would hear. But through this, the Catholic Church was pretty stubborn in their hearts and would not hear it. And they ultimately excommunicated all of these founding fathers, Wycliffe, John Wesley, uh, Martin Luther, uh, a couple other ones that are not ringing a bell right now. But these people, all of them were either excommunicated or, and both, excommunicated as heretics from the Catholic faith and some of them even sentenced to die a martyr's death. So, um, and even that you got the, you know, okay, well, as the Catholic Church, uh, you've, you've got, I mean, we're not going to get into that. It's another, another uh, broadcast here. Um, and question two, um, and then we're actually going to close up with a video here. Um, actually, I want to share this real quick. We're going to share this video, um, and it says uh, a lot of the same stuff in which I shared, but it kind of gives a little bit more detail in certain areas. So it's only a three-minute video. Uh, I want you guys who are following along to check this out and just just kind of listen to this. This is actually from um, I sourced this from Got Questions Ministries. Got Questions Ministries. Uh, I put this on YouTube, and again, I'll put the link in the. Uh, uh, description of all of this stuff, all this mumbo jumbo for anybody who's interested in checking this out. Now go ahead and uh, listen and follow along here. What is the origin of the Roman Catholic Church? We're going to answer that question. The Roman Catholic Church contends that its origin is the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ in approximately AD 30. The Catholic Church proclaims itself to be the church that Jesus Christ died for, the church that was established and built by the apostles. Is that the true origin of the Catholic Church? On the contrary. Even a brief reading reveals that the Catholic Church does not have its origin in the teachings of Jesus. In the New Testament, there is no mention of the papacy, worship or adoration of Mary, praying to saints, apostolic succession, the ordinances of the church functioning as sacraments, infant baptism, confession of a sin to a priest, purgatory indulgences, or the equal authority of church tradition and scripture. If the origin of the Catholic Church is not in the teachings of Jesus and his apostles, then what is its true origin? 
For the first 280 years of Christian history, Christianity was banned by the Roman Empire, and Christians were terribly persecuted. This changed when Roman Emperor Constantine converted and provided religious toleration with the Edict of Milan, lifting the ban on Christianity. Constantine envisioned Christianity as a religion that could unite the Roman Empire. However, the results were anything but positive. The Christian church that Constantine and his successors promoted became a mixture of true Christianity and Roman paganism. Here are some examples. Most Roman Catholic beliefs and practices regarding Mary are completely absent from the Bible. Interestingly, the first hints of Catholic Mariology resemble Isis worship. The Lord's Supper being a conception of the literal body and blood of Jesus is not taught in the Bible. Roman Catholicism has saints one can pray to in order to gain a particular blessing. Nowhere is even a hint of this taught in scripture. The idea that the Roman bishop is the vicar of Christ, the supreme leader of the Christian church, is utterly foreign to the word of God. The supremacy of the Roman bishop, the papacy, was created with the support of Roman emperors. Eventually, the popes took on the title that had previously belonged to the Roman emperors, Pontifex Maximus. Many more examples could be given, recognizing that many of its beliefs and practices are utterly foreign to scripture, the Catholic Church is forced to deny the authority and sufficiency of scripture. The origin of the Catholic Church is the tragic compromise of Christianity with the pagan religions that surrounded it. By blurring the differences and erasing the distinctions, the Catholic Church became the supreme religion in the Roman world for centuries. However, it also saw the most dominant form of Christianity. Christianity apostatizing from the true gospel of Jesus Christ and the true proclamation of God's word. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That answers the question, what is the origin of the Roman Catholic Church? Research this question further on our website. Well, that, my friends, um, is your little history lesson for the Catholic Church. Um, it's, uh, this is essentially what they believe. Now, uh, again, there was more information in there. Um, some of it we shared over already. But I wanted to share that to kind of give you a little bit more insight to the origins as far as what's going on. And this actually brings me to the last question. Uh, I pulled this. This is a common question I hear quite a bit uh, when the topic comes up. Um, and uh, I even, you know, it was announced, uh, I want to say, last week. Uh, there was a, I was at a study, and uh, the gentleman was, was referring to the Catholic faith as being, you know, a Christian sect, um, a, a Christian faction, a Christian denomination. But, uh, and I confronted that, I was like, well, you know, it's a cult, actually, and which it is. We've already established that. We've already shared this here. Um, and then, you know, I said, well, you know, there's still some, there's still some faithful people, you know, within the Catholic Church. I beg to differ. I really do. See, because if they're, if these people who are faithful, if they're faithful people of Jesus, um, they're faithful to God himself, if they're inside the Catholic Church, what about them? What does this mean? Does this mean that they're saved or are they part of a cult as well? My biggest question is if, if these people are truly faithful to the word of God, if they're faithful to the true Jesus Christ, then my question is, why are they still in that church? 
If a person is in the Roman Catholic Church and claiming to be a devout follower of Christ himself, they're either, one, following a false god, a false Jesus, an antichrist, so to speak, um, or they aren't listening to what God is truly having them to, to, to tell them to do. You know, my argument here specifically is, is against the Catholic uh, faith itself, but even with that noted, um, it, we need to recognize why they are still there, or ask the question, why are they still involved participating in the Catholic faith? If this person is really, truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, they'll do one of two things. Number one, they will either expose the theological errors, just as Martin Luther and all the other uh, Protestant reformers, they will either expose the theological errors within the church, or number two, they will walk away and f walk away from the Catholic faith and find a trustworthy uh, church of God, a sincere church. If they remain in there, there's a problem because they're taking part in pagan worship. That's really all I have for you guys today. Um, I hope you guys gathered some insight. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever it is, as we share at the end of each video, please feel free to get a hold of me. I'd love to talk to you guys about this stuff. Um, and again, my final wrap-up here, if you enjoy these broadcasts, consider becoming a financial subscriber. Um, this will support the ministry. It will support our license programs, um, more features, more options to come, as well as you know the finances specifically, because we would like to, long-term goal, get to the point in which this ministry is focused on um, being funded on only 10% of the income and the remaining 90% given back to the community. That's that's the goal right there. Um, and with that being said, uh, that you know that's what's going to happen. So your your finances, uh, it, you know, you could be be secured in knowing that we will do whatever we possibly can to make sure that that goes back out to others. We guys said we got two other people, two other ministries in which we'd like to support, uh, and you know you can be a helping hand uh, to that, to the establishment of this and their ministries as well. Uh, with that being said, you guys have yourself a very wonderful and blessed weekend. God bless.